Your mission is to know Jesus, enjoy Jesus, and glorify Jesus. And our vision is broken people coming together to embrace and extend Jesus' love. If you've been here for any length of time, you know that we use uh, Linktrace now, uh, which is a QR code located inside of your worship bulletin. And from there, you can get information about the church, giving your tithes and offerings, uh, information about the social media platform, etc. So open up your, um, your worship guide and uh, click the phone on the QR code. You can get that information. Uh, if you're a guest today, we are so glad you're here with us today. Uh, you are uh, uh, much appreciated being here. Uh, you can also go to that uh, QR code and uh, let us have a little bit of information about you so we can uh, get to know you better. Uh, at the Village Church, we believe the giving of tithes and offerings is an act of worship. Uh, and there's uh, a number of ways that you can give to the vision of the church. The first is through the QR code. Um, you can also mail the check to the church. Uh, there is, uh, if you go to our webpage, there is a giving link there uh, where you can uh, use PayPal to pay. Or you can just, uh, at the back of the church on the left there, uh, is an offering plate. Uh, as you leave the church today, you can uh, give us, give the offerings. Um, today, we welcome uh, the esteemed Mr. Reverend Bill Nash to the pulpit today. <laughs> yes, longtime friend of the church, uh, and thank you so much for being here, Bill. Uh, as you know, uh, Alex is still uh, out with COVID, and so Bill is standing in for him. So much appreciated, Bill. Uh, after the worship service, we are going to have our um, what we call SEC classes, uh, Sunday equipping classes. That is both in the nursery and also the uh, first steps, the, the younger uh, kids and the youth and also the adults. The adults will be meeting right here, uh, sort of in front of the pulpit here right after the service for a discussion about the sermon. But we got a lot going on after the church, after the service, so I encourage you all to, uh, to take, take part in that. Um, next Sunday, we're going to continue. Uh, uh, Lord willing, Alex will be back with his uh, mission, and vision ser- mission and Vision Sermon Series, and we'll have SEC after uh, that as well. Uh, and then the following Sunday, September 4th, we're going to welcome Dr. Thad James to our pulpit, and we won't be having SEC uh, after that worship service. Uh, so those are your announcements, and um, let's get on into the worship service. Good morning. Y'all dragging today. I understand. It's cloudy. I was dragging to get up this morning. See, we're going to try that again. Good morning. All right. I understand, y'all. Believe me, I do. Um, praise the Lord. I, uh, If you were here last Sunday, uh, we had a very power, powerful word from esteemed Lyle Lee and um, he preached from Psalm 30 and just talking about praise and praising God and praying and crying out to the Lord uh, it really really touched me one of the things that he said is that praise is our weapon 
praise is our weapon. I started thinking about that. Because often we think about praise just in this context and just in, okay, we're about to sing, so now it's time to praise. But we praise God when we make declarations about the truth of who he is. Um, when we preach the gospel to ourselves, when we encourage one another to love and good works, we're praising God every time, whether there's a song or music or not, every time we declare the goodness of the Lord, we are praising him. And sometimes that's really easy to do. And sometimes it's really, really hard. And even in our lament, even in our sadness, even in our suffering and our sorrow, we can still praise God. We can still say, Lord, you are good. Even if we have to say, Lord, you are good. Lord, I believe, so help my unbelief. Amen? Because that's real, too. Sometimes we, we have it here, but here we're struggling. So I that sermon just sat on my, I've been chewing on that ever since because it's so easy for me to forget and I'm like the worship leader it's so easy for me to forget to just praise God to to make declarations to myself and to others and to him about who he is and what just the beautiful things that he does for me on a regular basis and if he doesn't do anything else this moment forward, he's still worthy of all of my praise, all of my hallelujah, all of my thank you, Jesus. Whether I can shout that out or if it's just really, really, really low and quiet because I can just barely squeeze those words out. So I encourage you right now, before we, before and while we sing this, this song, to just think about one thing one thing that you know to be true about the Lord. One thing that you saw him do last week. And if you're like, I'm stuck, you might just be like, Lord, I'm stuck, but I thank you anyway. So I invite you to do that as a point of meditation, um, a point of focus. If you would, if you are able, please stand with me as we sing and think about that thing as we say to him there is none like you
our call to worship is um, found in First Kings chapter eight, verses fifty-six and fifty-eight. Please join with me where it says, "People, blessed be the Lord who has given rest to His people Israel, according to all that He promised. Not one word has failed of all of His good promise." which he spoke to spoke by Moses his servant the lord our god be with us as he was with our fathers may he not leave or forsake us that he may incline our hearts to him to walk in all his ways and to keep his commandments his statutes and his rules which he commanded our fathers amen
joyful we we run the gamut of emotions and experiences right now and one of the things I'm thankful for Jesus is that you you know what that's like we serve a, a God we have a high priest who is acquainted with the human experience yet didn't sin. We thank you for that. We praise you for that. That you can you can relate. That you have walked in our shoes. We Father, we, we thank you for giving us your word. So that we don't have to wander around this place in confusion. You've given us everything we need for life and godliness. We praise you for that. That we can open the book. We thank you, Spirit, for making the words jump off the, the page and convicting us and grabbing our hearts and giving us hope and reminding us the joy of the Lord is our strength. We praise you for that. You praise, We praise you, Father, for putting that word in there that says, be still and know that I am God. We praise you for that. that we can hide under the shadow of your wings. 
that we, you are our hiding place. We dwell in safety with you. We praise you for that. We thank you and praise you for being loving. Your mercies are new every morning and your compassions never fail. We praise you for that. We praise you for being consistent. You never change. From the rising of the sun to the setting of the same, your name is to be praised. You are the alpha and the omega. Super consistent when I'm not. When those around me are not. In the midst of uncertainty, you are steady. You are steadfast. You are sure. You are our rock. You are our battle axe. You are our banner. You are our strength. You are our joy. You are the good, good shepherd and a great, great, great father. Great God you are. We praise you for that. There's not enough words right now and not certainly not enough time right now to declare your goodness in this feeble attempt. <laughs> but when we don't have the words... And even when we feel like, I don't know if he's so great, we can still say thank you for the breath in our body. And even when we don't have those words, the spirit that lives in us intercedes on our behalf because we don't really know what to say. We don't really know what to pray. So, Father, I thank you for your wisdom and giving us the spirit to rest and abide with us to comfort us. We praise you for that. Lord, I pray you help us. I know it's supposed to be a prayer praise, but I'm about to make a supplication. God, help us be a praising, praying people in this place. Lord, forgive us for not being praising praying people thanksgiving people in this place in the good and the bad so Lord right now we just say thank you we thank you for that forgiveness you say we confess our sins you are faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us of all unrighteousness so we say thank you we thank you Lord for your love and your grace and your tender mercies and your kindness. We thank you that we can come in here and gather in your name. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life, not because of me, but because of you. And we will dwell in the house of the Lord forever and ever and ever. May all all God's people say, amen. You may be seated. The Lord Saints. Let's try it one more time. Praise the Lord Saints. Sounds a lot better. <laughs> I'm supposed to be coming up here to do the words of comfort, but I, I wanted to share something with you. Bill, do you mind? All right. Well, hey, hold on to your seat. Well, guys, I wanted to share with you about uh, my quiet time. It's, it's, it's going to be a thing of comfort. I've been in, in the book of Acts, chapter 3, where I've been looking and reading about 
reconciliation. Mm, yeah, reconciliation. It's a hard thing to do. So I feel like I wanted to know what does that look like and how does God view it and what are some of the things that God really commands us to do in that process. So I went to the book of Acts and I started reading about uh, the man on the side of the road who's he was outside of the gate called Beautiful. Solomon's Colonnade is the uh, location where it was at. And the man, he was been there his whole life. Everybody come and drop him off every single day just so he could beg for money and seek some, some finances to eat and take care of himself. And so Peter, I mean, Peter and John was walking and they saw him. And Peter, you know where I'm from, so if you ain't, you ain't got the money, like, I ain't holding. I, I don't got it. You know, you patch your pockets. He said, I ain't got it. But he said, what I do have is the Holy Spirit. And he said, rise and walk. Now, mind you, they were going to, Peter and John was going here to pray. They go there at 3 o'clock every day to pray, to pray. So I want you to remember that. When it comes to reconciliation, one thing you must learn to do first is, thank you. Thank you for helping me out with that. Say it one more time. Thank you. Pray. Then they went and they actually they had the guy to stand up. And I don't even know who this guy's physical therapist is. Because when they say stand up, immediately the guy got up and walked and leaped. I just blew out my knees a year ago and I'm still in recovery. So to think about how good God is that this man would get up and be able to walk and to leap and to walk into the temple with John and Peter is pretty awesome. Praise the Lord. What it says is God would do exceedingly and abundantly anything that we ask of him if it's according to his will. And so when it came down to it, when he, God had purpose. God had purpose for that man to get up that day because on that day, many people heard the gospel and they were saved. Because when they went into the temple, the Israelites marveled. They was like, oh man, this guy, this cat been out here at the gate every day begging. How is he walking? How is he walking? It was, they were in awe. But then you get to see how funny the Bible is. This is where it gets real comedy for me. Maybe because probably I got a, a slow, my mind is, uh, it's hard for me to control myself. But I laughed. Because Peter started getting into his urban, his urban self came out. Where he started really going in on the Israelites. You were the guys who killed someone. The same God who raised this man up where he can get his legs back, his arms back, and he can walk today. It's the same God that you killed and said, I want a murderer turned, released into me. Pretty awesome, huh? He said, the same God of righteousness you killed. So what I, I say all that to say is God is faithful and committed to the end because the same people who murdered him were the same people who was preparing a way back to him in reconciliation. But he was, I, I looked at it as though Peter was asking his question because he was trying to seek to understand. First pray, seek to understand because he was wondering, how can you kill a man who was so righteous as Jesus? Then he began to educate. He said the same, he said this was already predestined. Moses spoke of it. Many other prophets spoke of it. This is God's way of being shown he was committed to making sure his people came back to himself. Lastly, we have a covenant with one another. How much more should we be committed to one another in the same way that Christ was committed to the very end with the people in his body, in his church, in his community? So I started with prayer seek to understand, educate. We have a covenant here in this church, in this body. We should make every effort 
to do what God has called us to do. Now, the thing about it is, if you think you're going to do it, I'm going to let you off the hook. You're not. Christ is going to do it. We don't have it in us because Peter talked about the authority of which that man was healed, of the authority which that man got up and walked, and under what authority that Christ had because he was resurrected and the power that he had. That was great for me because I needed to understand what does that look like. And I'm going to last, let's leave you with humility. Christ was humble to the point of death. And when we're dealing with our brothers and sisters here in this church, we must be humble. We must greet each other in a way that lets them know there's no threat to them, that we love them and that we appreciate them and they want to be heard and need to be heard. Amen? Amen. Now, the words of comfort. There we go. Matthew 11, 28 through 30. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burdens is light. I've read to you Matthew 11, verses 28 through 30. Now we'll have the reading of the scripture, the scripture reading, which is John chapter 13, verses 1 through 20. Bear with me for a minute. All right, here we go. Before the Passover festival, Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart from the, this world to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. Amen. Now when it was time for, the, for supper, the devil had already put it into the hearts of Judas, Simon Iscariot's son. To betray him, Jesus knew that the Father had given everything into his hands, and he had, <clears throat> sorry, and he had come from God, and that he was going back to God. So, so he got up from the supper, laid aside his outer, outer clothing, took a, a towel and tied it around himself. Next, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet and to dry them with a towel tied around them. Around them. He came to Simon Peter who asked, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus answered him, what am I, what, what I'm doing you done you, you don't realize now but afterwards you will understand you will never wash my feet peter said jesus replied if i don't wash your feet you have no part with me simon peter said to him lord not only my feet but also my hands and my head one who had has bathed jesus told him doesn't doesn't need to wash any anything except his feet but he is completely clean you are clean but not all of you for he knew who would betray him. This is, this is why he said, not all of you are clean. When Jesus had washed their feet and put on his outer clothing, he reclined again and said to them, Do you know what I have done for you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are speaking rightly since that is what I am. So if I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done for you. Truly, I tell you, a servant is, is not greater than his master, and a messenger is not greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, you are blessed if you do them. I'm not speaking about all of you. I know those I have, I have chosen. Praise the Lord. But the scripture must be fulfilled. The one who eats my bread 
has raised his heel against you. I'm telling you now before it happens so that when it, when it does happen, you will believe that I am he. Truly, I tell you, whoever receives anyone I send receives me. And the one who receives me receives him who sent me. I have read to you John chapter 13, 1 through 20. May God bless his word.
Confident in this, I will see the goodness of the Lord. 
give the Lord a hand clap of praise. And I ask you, do you believe it? Do we believe it that we will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living? Amen. Praise God. You may be seated. Good morning, and let's, um, let's pray. Um, Father, um, gosh, if we truly believe what we've heard um, through word and um, song, through um, just expanding on what you've been revealing to, to us, if we really believe, Lord, how would we be different? And so, Father, reveal in us those parts of us that we're holding on to that we have yet to uh, hand over, uh, Father. Uh, the, the times of unbelief, the times where we choose our way, the times when we decide it's okay to do that when it's not. And, Father, we want to live um, in the true freedom that comes from believing the truth and trusting in completely your Son uh, as the orchestrator of our lives. So that, Father, in that freedom, it would show forth in humility. In that freedom, it would show forth in a selflessness that would look after, each, that we would look after each other, not just our own interests, but the interests of others as well. And so, Father, um, we know that uh, our days are numbered. You've, or, you've ordained every day. And so, um, I, I lift up. Um, our dear brother, Larry, um, who, uh, Father, is just is trusting in you um, and believing that you are holding his hand and um, walking with him in this challenge, this time. And, um, and um, we love him. He's a dear friend. And so, Father, we know that your comfort is just deep and amazing. And... Um, Lord, I pray that uh, you would pave a way now to the foot of the cross through what you've shown me to preach. And, uh, Lord, that we would see Jesus, his face, his that glorious face, and we would die to self, that we would uh, find the comfort there at the cross and uh, live for others for your glory in his name. Amen. Amen. Um, wow, I think, uh, DeMarco, man, you nailed it. Um, the, um, I just hope that what I'm about to preach that is as good a job as you did because, man, we're on the same wavelength because I think God wants us to hear this this morning. So um, let's see if we can get to the foot of the cross, okay? Uh, a number of years ago, uh, the Gospel Coalition, it's an organization um, that um, tries to put out good material and, and things like that. But they had, uh, on, had an online question that they asked a number of pastors and scholars, uh, professors and that teach at seminary. And the question was this. And the reason why I'm doing this, by the way, is that as I was reading about Jesus washing the feet of his disciples, I thought of what uh, one of the responses was. And, I, and the reason why I thought of it was he was one of my professors in seminary. Okay, so... Here's the question that they asked um, some scholars and some pastors. What one thing would you change about seminary? You know, in seminaries, we're, you know, 
Alex and I went off to get trained to be pastors, right? So, but what one thing would you change about seminary? And this is what Richard Pratt said. Uh, he's one of my professors and uh, an amazing guy. He said this. He said, if I could wave a magic scepter and change seminary today, I'd turn it into a grueling physical and spiritual experience. I'd find ways to reach academic goals more quickly and effectively and then devote most of the curriculum to supervised battle simulation. I put students through endless hours of hands-on service to the sick and dying, physically dangerous evangelism, frequent preaching and teaching the scriptures, and days on end of fasting and prayer. Seminary would either make them or break them. And then he said this, do you know why? And he said, do you know what would happen then? He said, very few young men would want to attend. <laughs> right? Yeah. Only those who had been called by God would subject themselves to this kind of seminary. Yet they would be recruits for kingdom service, not mere students. They would be ready for the battle of gospel ministry. Um, like I said, when I read the account of Jesus washing the feet, I thought of this, because I think in class, many times uh, Professor Pratt would say things like, you know, rather than that, you know, getting your, your ordination exam, we wouldn't ask you a lot of theological questions. We would ask you, you know, how many times did you care for somebody that couldn't care for themselves anymore? You know, how, how, you know, how many people did you clean and wash uh, them after they or, you know, they couldn't do for themselves what they used to do, right? He said it a lot more different than I'm saying here at church, by the way. I think you know the picture, right? That that's, and the reason why I thought of that was because I just imagined Jesus, you know, washing the feet of his disciples, you know, first century people that walked around in a, you know, very dirty environment. I thought about the smells that would be involved in washing someone's feet. Um, I've been cursed with a gene where my feet smell. They do, <laughs> my poor wife. Um, so I kind of get it. So this really rings true to me. I was just like, like wow, um, the smells, right? right? And so it's, um, that's what I thought about. Because I think what Professor Pratt was saying was he said real ministry, like real ministry, like if you're like, hey, I'm loving somebody, I'm caring for somebody, real ministry, you know, metaphorically and probably actually many times smells, right? That's reality, um, real life. Real life smells. It's hard. It's dirty. It's painful many times, most of the time. And no one can avoid it. Um, there will be a point in your life when it gets really hard. Um, no one here avoids it. It'll smell, right? It'll just be hard. It'll be a reality like, wow. Um, you know, I've been able to outrun this for a good long time, but now it's caught up with me. And it's, it's life has gotten hard, and it can stay that way for a very long time. But see, I think here's the thing. That's when of all times we should be there for each other. You know, we should be there in those hard times. We absolutely should. We should be there before they get hard, but especially when. Um, right after Jesus washes the feet of the disciple, a little bit later on in chapter 13, he says these famous words uh, also. He said, I'm leaving you. And he said, but I'm leaving you with a new commandment. And that new commandment, 
is to love one another. And he says, just as I have loved you. So he's saying, my example of loving you is how you should love each other. And I'm leaving. That is a new commandment. Y'all should love each other. And then, by the way, that's how the world will know you're my disciples is because the kind of love that you have for each other. And, um, you know, so how we love each other, how we love the people in our own tribe, how we love each other is we can't we have to do that. That's how the people outside of our little circle um, will know that we are followers of Jesus. And then I think by extension, how we love people outside of our Christian world, too, that's how they'll know us as well. So it's that love, that selfless kind of love. So let me just like kind of pause there and think like like with you, that's a tremendous calling. I mean, as DeMarco was talking about, like how do we reconcile? And that reconciliation can be something as minor or as close to you, not minor as you know somebody might you know that, that I'm with all the time, my wife, my kids, whatever. How do we reconcile there? But how do we go out and reconcile in a culture that it just doesn't want it? <laughs> They're doing everything we can to not even find any kind of reconciliation between differing views. It just keeps getting wider, and it's going to be harder and harder and harder. I mean, like, life really smells right now. It just is hard. Very difficult. So that high calling that we have, and just a sort of, and DeMarco picked on this, picked up on this, that, that there's a humility that we need, a, a selflessness, to think of ourselves less, you know, other-oriented. I thought of, um, you know, when you were talking, I thought about Philippians 2. You know, three and four, you know, it says, you know, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourself. And then not only look after your own interests, but the interests of others, right? Look after their interests. That's a tremendous calling. And the reason why it's such a tremendous calling, because I think I ask the question, well, how do we do that? Because I have all these interests, all this self-interest self-centeredness. I mean, I've got to figure out how to control as much of my little kingdom as I possibly can. I mean, I'm haunted. I think we're all haunted by that in some level, right? So how do we die to ourselves? How do we get at outward focus, um, you know, and then get to that place of humility? I mean, there's always so much to do. I mean, we're in a world that smells, but you know, when you stop and say, you know, we stop pointing at the world, and that's so hard, we look at our own hearts, too. We get, when we start to look really into it, at least for me, and this is true for me, it's ugly. Uh, I, I'm going to tell you this one story that I ran across a number of years ago. It was an article that was in um, Time Magazine, uh, uh, yeah, New York Times. And um, it's going to be absurd. When you find out what this one person did, you're just going to go, man, that is weird. I mean, how could he do Like, who does this? Because um, it's just bizarre. But I'm also, I'll find out that, you know, I could be just like this person I'm going to tell you about and, and be just as absurd in what I fight for and what I hold to be true. And when I get, you know, my heels dug in, I want something from me. And the last thing I'm thinking about is washing your feet, right? So listen to this. This is bizarre. All right, hopefully I'll do it right and tell you about it. But, um, a number of years ago, this happened like in the early 2000s, right? But this was an article that was probably about 2010 uh, that I ran across. Um, okay, so there was a photography company in uh, Bronx, New York, that was being sued um, by a man over his wedding photos. So he got the wedding photos from his wedding, and he 
didn't like what he saw. Okay, and here's what it was. The, the photography company missed the last 15 minutes. Okay, a big, long wedding, big reception. They missed the last 15 minutes of the reception. So they missed the tossing of the bouquet and the last dance and the you know, running to the car thing. All right, the last 15 minutes was gone. Um, and so I, you know, you can, that's understandable, if you, especially when you paid what he did. He paid $4,100 for the photography that day. And he wanted it back. He wanted the money back. But also, this was he was suing them for $48,000 because, and here's what he wanted to do, he wanted to recreate the last 15 minutes. He wanted to fly everybody in, recreate it, film it with a different photographer company, all that stuff. And um, that's what he wanted. But that's not all the story. So it was going to be, it's just difficult enough, you imagine, trying to get everybody back together. But here's what had happened in the meantime. The couple had since divorced. Okay? And I told you this is bizarre. They weren't even married anymore. Okay, so the wedding was in 2003. The uh, divorce was in 2008. So they were married five years. And he filed the lawsuit a year later in 2009. And the other thing is, it would be really difficult to locate the ex-wife because she had since moved back to Latvia, wherever she came from. Yeah, that's where she moved back home across the, you know, the, across the pond. Okay, so it is bizarre. The, the groom, I mean, I would say, you know, uh, humbly say that he just seemed a little angry, right? <laughs> Something was just a little off. Um, but I think on the surface, you sort of see, you know, hey, this fell short of my hopes and dreams for the photographs and the filming and you know, whatever it was. You know, it just fell a little short. Um, but so did his marriage. I mean, right? I mean, this guy is a real piece of work. Um, one troubled guy. So on the one hand, he had a legitimate complaint. This is a, a company that, you know, been around for 65 years. They had three different photographers there filming and taking pictures. And they missed the last 15 minutes, the last dance, the bouquet, all that stuff. They missed it. So, but here, he, this is the even, gets even more bizarre. Listen to the groom's, ex, excuse me, ex-groom's reasoning. He said that they were very happy with the ceremony and they just, and in quotes, would like to have it documented for eternity for us and our families. Okay, very troubled man. Uh, absolutely absurd. But um, haven't you, if you think about it, haven't you been upset when your vision or plan for, you know, something as benign as an event you're planning or all the way maybe your hopes and dreams for how you were going to make money, your career, whatever it was, you know, just didn't come through, your plans for your kids and how they were going to grow up and who they're going to marry, and then all this other stuff, you know, maybe the fact that I thought I would be married and I'm not, all your plans when they get foiled and they don't happen, it can make us very angry. It can make us uh, very fearful. It can make us do very foolish things. Um, I can be like this ex-groom, you know, especially when I have in mind all how everything in my life should end up. You know, I have dreams for my kids. I have dreams for you know, my ministry. I have dreams for my church and, you know, all that stuff. I have dreams for my way. I have lots of dreams for my way. Um, and that sort of self-centeredness really separates us from real good relationships, real relationships. 
And, you know, um, I can fret over things I missed out on, like, you know, the last 15 minutes of the reception, you know. <laughs> uh, there are things in my life I feel like I missed out on, and it can make me pretty bitter. I can, um, I can blame, right? I can get really bitter on what I felt like I missed out. So it separates me from people. So I have my desire to want to wash your feet and to serve you just gets diminished, like clip, 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 because when I start to think about maybe what I missed out on or what I should have gotten, um, it's, it's a very self-centered way to kind of go through life. You know, but here's the question then. I mean, we've looked at, you know, um, maybe the kind of things that we should be involved in. We should be involved in the smelly things of life. We should be involved, right? You know, it's, it's difficult, but what makes it even more difficult is our hearts. Our hearts, if they're not right, if they're not focused on the right thing, I don't even want to be with you to wash your feet, right? You don't want to be with me. Something has to happen, right, where we can see and put others' interests first. How do we get there? How do we get to that place where we die to ourselves and we can wash each other's feet, and that's just a picture of the messiest part of life you can think of. And we just get down there and we serve. Well, I would say this, and it's this most simple answer, but it's so profound. It's what we all need. It's, it's to look into the face of Jesus. Because I was thinking, too, and I realized that this morning, even as I was really looking at this, in verses 14 and 15, Jesus said, you ought to wash one another's feet. And you get down into the dirt and the muck and the smell and, you know, and don't put yourself on a pedestal. Get down on your knees and, and love and serve. Wash each other's feet. And verse 15 says, for I have given you an example. So there it is. He's our example. I've given you an example that you also should do just as I've done to you. You know, and Jesus said, as I've loved you, you should love, you know, the example, and as, as I've loved you, you should love uh, each other. And so we should early and often look to Jesus. You know, not what I think he can give me to make me joyous, but I want to look at what made him joyful. Where did he find his joy? Because I think if we can look there, then we can start to see the heart of Jesus and see what he did to get that. And what he did to get that will melt us to that place where we'll go in into the dirt, all right? So uh, Hebrews 12, I cannot get away from it. I think I'll probably just about end every sermon with Hebrews 12 because it's so profound. Uh, Hebrews 12, uh, verse 2 and 3, how do we get to that place where we can wash feet? How do we get to that place where we uh, die to ourselves, where what we want starts to kind of fade and starts our hearts really become transformed? Here it is. Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. There it is, right? Consider him. Look to him. Consider him. Look to him. That whole process. You know, and I love DeMarco talking about his quiet time. He was looking and seeing something. That, that's, how, that's where we meet, you know, Jesus. You know, how can we be reconciled? 
That's because of what Jesus did. It's because of him. It's because of what we have in Jesus. Let's expand on that just briefly. So we think about the joy set before him. What was Jesus' joy? Well, one of it was the thought that he was going to be going back to the Father. Uh, Next chapter, after the washing feet chapter, Jesus says this, You heard me say to you, this is verse 28 of John 14, I am going away and I will come to you. If you loved me, you would have rejoiced because I am going to the Father, for the Father is greater than I. I I dare say that Jesus, part of the joy set before him, how he could tell us to rejoice. Hey, rejoice with me. I'm going to be going back to the Father. That relationship, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, that was enjoyed from all eternity past, that just says that Jesus emptied himself to come take on flesh, but now Jesus was going back to the Father to be seated at the right hand of the throne of God. That joy you know, propelled him and pushed him to go to the cross to, to, to take on the wrath of God, to drink down the wrath of God to the dregs until there was no more wrath left. He did that in our place because he was going back to the Father. That's part of it. The other part of it is that we're his joy. We're his joy. Remember Jesus said um, in the first part of John 14, so all this stuff ties together. You've got the washing of the feet, and you've got, you just kind of just keeps moving along. Jesus said, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in me. Believe, believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again. I will take you to myself, and where I am, there you may be also. Jesus wants to be with us. His joy. We are his joy. And that is why he went to the cross. That is why he endured all of it. We are his joy. We're his joy. And he wants to be with us. That's the end for which you and I were created, to be with Jesus, to find your end in him. Not in achievements, not in successes, not in have. Not having your life photographed perfectly and not missing any of it, right? It was to be with Jesus. That we were designed to bring him glory and to live in light of the truth of what he's done for us. And so, you know, when we think about so much about what's going on in our culture and the reason, like, so, so many times relationships break and it's hard for us to say, how can I serve that person? If you got to think our culture so much, if you just look and, and see it, because they don't have, we've run everything through the filter of the cross. Everything goes through that. And we, and we see life as it is. And why are there broken relationships? It's because we're trying to be God, right? And so when we look at our culture, there is blame and resentment that happens so much. It's because it's like, You didn't give me the last 15 minutes. I wanted that. It's like that crazy guy. Just he was he was blaming and he was resentful. He was trying to find somebody to blame for his divorce. I'm sure by the photographers. If we had just had those last 15 minutes, I think we'd still be together. I mean, I don't know what his reasoning is, but I do that. I blame and I'm resentful and I and it just that that just builds. But you what we do, and I would say this, what diminishes that if we look at the cross and we say, I'm grateful. I'm grateful that I'm in Christ. 
I am grateful that I'm his. I am grateful that the worst thing that can happen to me will never happen to me. I will never be sent out of his presence, ever. In this limited time that we have, you know, maybe God will give us 70 years. Maybe it'll be 80. I don't know. But it's a limited time. And to be grateful for what we have in Jesus allows us to just give it all up and bend our knees and wash each other's feet. I mean, that is the only way I know how to do that. I, I, I've tried really hard just to be a good guy. I tried really hard to love people well. And apart from Jesus and apart what he's, from what he's done, I, I'm just a mess and I make a mess of it. All right, so let's, let's finish this up. When we graze at the sacrifice of Jesus, I mean, we, we, we look at it, and we gaze. And I say graze, and that would be kind of cool. It's graze and gaze. Um, when we gaze at the, the finished work and the sacrifice of Jesus, you and I won't want our way. We won't want our way. Um, nothing we would lay down or give up for someone else will even feel like a sacrifice. You know, so when we think, gosh, it's so hard to wash someone's feet, I didn't do it. I think when we look at what Jesus did, the transformation that the Holy Spirit works in and through our hearts, it won't even feel like a sacrifice. It won't even feel like we're giving up something to care for each other. It won't seem like a sacrifice in the shadow of the cross. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to come to the table, um, and we're going to gaze together. The, the cup and the bread, think of, that, think of those as like wedding photos. Wedding photos that maybe are really, they, they have a sense of uh, pictures from the past, but like pictures from the future too. Because when Jesus said, you know, when he was with his disciples and at the Last Supper, and he just said, look, I'm not going to drink from this cup of wine until I'm with you guys. And he was talking to us. I'm with all of us that one day. Some way. And so these are like photographs. And the amazing thing about the finished work of Jesus, the broken body, the spilt blood, is there's no 15 minutes list missing. He accomplished it. It is finished. He said, it is finished. It's done. And you and I have the joy to live grateful lives in a culture that is full of resentment and blame. And we just go, Lord... Um, that's, uh, that's the freedom I'm looking for so that I can love well. If I can love well because it's, it's a tough, smelly place. But that picture is what we need, and we need it. And so let's look afresh and anew at the one who gave his life, right, to dance the last dance with us that will never end, right? So let's, let me um, approach the table. And I think we have a couple elders that will be helping out um, this is a real privilege, because no matter how much I may have messed up taking you to the foot of the cross, this will fix it. This will get our, our focus back. So let me read from you. These are the words of the institution of the Supper of the Lord. Paul writes them in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. I received from the Lord that which I passed on to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night in which he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take and eat. This is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he also took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. 
This do whenever you drink it in remembrance of me, for as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you show forth the Lord's death until he comes. We like to talk about, at least as Presbyterians, um, that this, this is something, if you're a follower of Jesus, you want. You want to take this sacrament because you want to think through the life that Jesus lived, right, that you couldn't. He lived that perfect life where he loved well, he served well, uh, he put the needs of others ahead of his own. You know, he even at the very last time when he said, Lord, Father, your will, not my will. I mean, that was the life he lived that you and I couldn't. And then as we think about the cup, it was the death he died that you and I deserved. And so as believers, we say, Lord, I, I want to remember I want your spirit to take these elements and do a work in me, these means of grace. And so we will say that if you're not a follower of Jesus, this is something that's not something that if you don't understand what's going on fully, we would say just pause. Don't come and take the bread or the the cup. But think through and take Jesus. Take Jesus. Because here's the thing. We didn't come to Jesus because we were Presbyterian or because we were really good people. Um, And in fact, it's not so much that we confessed our sin, but we confessed our righteousness. We gave up on our own righteousness. We sort of said, Lord, nothing that I could bring to you would be good enough because I've looked into my heart and I'm a mess. I need just you. And I repent not only of my sin, but I repent of my righteousness, the thing I would have pointed to to say I'm deserving of this. And so then it's all grace, and when it's all grace, that's the only thing that humbles us. That's why we come to the table. That's why we remember. And so if that's not you, take Jesus and let one of us know, one of the elders know that that's happened for you. We want to walk with you in this smelly world. So let me pray and give thanks. Father, thank you for this, these photographs our wedding. You're our groom. We're your bride. You love us. And we have this pictures laid out of what you did for us from eternity past. And then you give us the hope and even the eyes to sense what it will be like forever in the new heavens, new earth. And so when we take this cup, take this bread, when we're there celebrating with you forever, it'll be so familiar It'll, it'll, it'll add to the joy. So, Father, we rejoice in that. In Christ's name, amen. Amen. The Lord Jesus, on the same night in which he was betrayed, took the bread and having given thanks, as we have done in his name this morning, he broke the bread and gave it to his disciples. And he said, take and eat. This is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same fashion, Jesus took the cup And having given thanks, as has been done in his name, he said, this is the cup of the new covenant in my blood. Take and drink, all of you. This is the blood that was shed for many for remission of sins. So take, drink, and rejoice. So here's a little bit of instruction. We have, um, the, the elders are going to come and pass out the bread, and they're going to pass out the cup. And you'll take it, and we'll hold it, and we're going to take it together. 
But what, one thing you need to know is that there's like two different types of kind of bread going on. There's a bread that's already open, and then there's some prepackaged bread because it may be one of the things that you just want to make sure you get something that's probably a little more sanitary and kind of in the, in the environment we are right now, you know, I think we just be as careful as you feel like you need to be careful, and we want to try to help with that. So, so there's going to be a couple of things. You pick which one you want. They'll, they'll offer both, okay? So uh, if the elders can come forward, I'll, we'll distribute the, the elements. together. This is the broken body of Jesus, the life that he lived that you couldn't.
Now we have a song of response in light of what you've heard, in light of what Jesus has done for us. Let's sing with our whole hearts. If you would please stand.
now. Uh, receive now the Lord's benediction. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. A peace that will allow you to live in gratitude and wash the feet of those around you with a grateful, grateful heart. In Christ's name, amen.